Hey, before I get into today's episode with photographer Mark Peterson, I want to tell you guys about a new file transfer tool I've been using lately called PicDrop. Uh, PicDrop is a file transfer tool that was designed by photographers with photographers in mind. Um, it's a really easy platform to use. It's easy as just drag and drop your photos and you can upload them um, so you can share your files with your clients or um, just have an easy place to store your photos. I've been using it for a little while now and this kind of create private galleries for each of my clients so they can download, um, they can make selections, they can see which photos they like and it's just an easy way to kind of streamline my workflow. And uh, with today's episode, if you enter the promo code PHOTOBANTER, one word, uh, you'll get three months free when you sign up for PickDrop.com. And like I said, I've been using it for a while now and really enjoy the platform. Um, for years, I was using older ones like Dropbox and WeTransfer. But with PickDrop, they designed it uh, specifically with professional photographers in mind so they understand what you need. And you can, like, like I said, you can just easily access your photos on your mobile phone or laptop when you need to download photo photos on the go. And just really easy to use. And I can't recommend it enough. And with today's episode, if you go to pickdrop.com and enter the promo code PHOTOBANTER, one word, you'll get three months free when you sign up at pickdrop.com. So without further ado, we'll get into the Mark Peterson interview. Welcome to the PHOTOBANTER podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne. And on today's podcast, I speak with photographer Mark Peterson. Mark has worked with clients such as the New York Times, Vanity Fair, Time Magazine, and the New Yorker to name a few. Mark is well known for his work covering politics for which he published a book titled Political Theater. In this interview, I speak to Mark about his experience photographing the January 6th insurrection from inside the Capitol building and how he approached photographing such a chaotic day. I also speak to Mark about his approach to utilizing flash and how he approaches photographing politics. Mark is someone whose work I have a great amount of respect for, so I was really pumped to hear about his journey with photography so I hope you enjoy, and thanks so much for listening. All right, well, uh, Mark Peterson, uh, welcome to the podcast, man. Uh, really excited to talk to you. Uh, a lot of listeners have requested you over the years of doing this, so I was really excited to talk to you about everything you've been doing with your photography. Um, I guess to jump right into it, I was looking at your Instagram, and I know you've been covering politics for years, and... Uh, you were actually at the January 6th, the insurrection at the Capitol. I was just kind of curious if you could kind of walk us through um, your day. Were you on assignment there? Um, what was kind of going through your mind when all that was going on covering that, I guess? Uh, well, thank you. I'm honored to be part of this uh, podcast. So I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, January 6th. Um, I'd like to say I, I knew everything that was going to happen, but I, I was kind of surprised like everybody else um, by the level of violence and, and the ability of people to get into the Capitol, uh, rioters and looters uh, to be able to do that. Um, so uh, yeah, as it unfolded, it just became more and more surreal. Um, what, how things evolved was um, I was on assignment for the New York Times. I'd been working on a piece um, since uh, January 3rd. I went to Washington and kind of the tone of the piece was going to be about transition and the changing of power. 
And so January 3rd was the day of the first Congress, the opening of the new Congress. So people were being ceremonially uh, sworn in. And, you know, usually that day people bring their families and it's like selfie city in all the different chambers and kind of a very celebratory thing. But uh, this year, because of COVID, people were restricted. Mm -hmm. But that was kind of the impetus of why, uh, you know, I was going to go to the rally. Um, If I didn't have this assignment, I'd already planned on that. But, uh, you know, that's what started me being there. And so then on the 6th, um, you know, from what the assignment was about, and that they really wanted me to get a picture of Donald Trump speaking that day. And then also, um, you know, the rally, of course, but then look at the whole ceremonialness of the certificates being uh, voted on or, you know, brought in. And so, uh, you know, I was trying to logistically get all that because where Trump's speech was, was a 40 minute walk Mm -hmm. to the Capitol um, from the eclipse by the White House. Um, So, and Trump of course started late. Um, So he started speaking just before noon or at noon and the, the ceremony of carrying the uh, certificates from one chamber to the other was at one. So, so I photographed a few minutes of him speaking and then made my way through the crowd. It was, it was totally shocking to me. I knew that there'd be 5,000 people for the rally, but in the middle of January, there were maybe 30,000 people there. And people were very riled up from the very beginning that I got there. People were already fighting with the park police around the Washington Monument and banging on that door when they arrested somebody and trying to and forcing the police to release the person. So you could tell that things were, you know, pretty intense right away and that. So after photographing a few minutes of Trump, uh, maybe 10 minutes of him speaking, and, uh, you know, I positioned myself up on the uh, hill of the Washington Monument because I wanted to be able to shoot down on his speech and get the White House behind Mm -hmm. him. And, uh, you know, because I thought that that was important. Whether it was, I don't know. But to me, it was important to make sure you knew where he was and that this speech was happening on the day that they were certifying the election. So so then I made my way through the crowd and walked um, the, you know, it took me 30 to 40 minutes and people were already, while Trump was still speaking, making their way to the Capitol. And as I got about four blocks away from the Capitol, I saw a large group of Proud Boys and they were having lunch at the food trucks. So they were obviously fueling up (laughs) for their day. Um, So this is like quarter to one, you know, at that point. 
And uh, so I got to the Capitol and got inside. And I, um, you know, like within five minutes of getting inside, this kind of ceremony of, of going from the House chamber, I think, to the Senate, or I, I mixed, maybe I'm mixing it up. It was from one chamber to the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, of carrying all the certificates from the different states uh, certifying the election. And so I photographed that and just assumed I'd be in there for a few hours and then go out and maybe make pictures of people who were marching around the Capitol, which they had done at the other demonstrations in November and December, you know. And then I expected the violence to be that night which had happened at, in the, especially the December one where hundreds of proud boys and other people were riding through the streets, beating up anybody they thought was a Antifa person or uh, who they thought might be a communist in their mind or whatever, anybody who wasn't them basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's kind of how I thought at one fifteen things were going to be. And then within 10, you know, like, you know, you're not seeing TV where I am. You're not, you know, it's like, you're kind of locked in this bubble in the Capitol. And then suddenly uh, they, they called, you know, suddenly a security guard or a Capitol policeman, I'm sorry, was run, came running through the, and said, the Capitol's locked down. You have to go to your office, lock your door. And it was just like, this is like a half hour later, maybe. And, and it's like, you know, like I didn't have an office. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> and, and, and so I'm just like, oh, okay. And, and other people that I was kind of around photographers went away, you know, they scurried away. And so I'm just kind of standing there. And then I went to a window and I could see the masses, the rioters were climbing into the inauguration stand. And you, you could see it was disintegrating very quickly. Out and, what, there. What, and what's going through your mind at this point? Because obviously you're a photojournalist and you've been documenting politics for years. But at a certain point, like is it is there a moment of fear are you still just concentrating on documenting pictures or like is there a point where you're like damn i know i might need to like hide and like try to who knows what these people are going to do once they break in because as you know a lot of these people are like the media's the enemy of the people they they think the media is, is terrible like what's going through your mind when you start hearing people banging in and trying to get in these doors i guess Um, well, you know, as a photographer, you know, my fear wasn't for myself. It was, my fear was that I was going to miss shots and that I was going to not be able to get out to photograph what was happening outside. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that was my fear was just like, oh my fucking God, I'm sitting here photographing people carrying wooden boxes through the chamber. And this is what's happening outside. Mm -hmm. And I got to get out there. So I tried to get out, but the building was on lockdown and they wouldn't let me out. And so I just started trying to wander from window to window to photograph what you could see from the windows. 
And you could see like suddenly a dozen uh, Capitol police officers just crawling on the ground because they'd all been bear sprayed. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you knew the, uh, you know, stuff was really going, you know, to an extreme level. So I, I started to try and figure out if I could get into one of the office buildings and that I, if I could do it that way, if I could, um, you know, then get outside through one of them because they weren't letting me out of the Capitol. And as I was trying to do this, I heard this just extreme banging one floor below me. And I was like, what the heck is that, you know? And so I went down the stairs and I see one police officer sitting there with his hands up, trying to talk to people who you couldn't see. They were down the corridor trying to talk to him, telling them to get back. And that was, you know, police, uh, Capitol police officer Goodman. Yeah. And, and so all of a sudden he's backing up. I'm right next to him. And around the corner comes the guy with the Q shirt, the guy with the Confederate flag, Buffalo head man, QAnon guy, you know, they all come. And then, and then ironically, a couple friends of mine, photographers, uh, Ron Haviv and Ashley Gilbertson, who had come in with that group through, through the door or window, however they got through. And, and so it was just at that moment, it became the whole day became very surreal. These people looked like they were totally hypnotized. You know, they were just like, you know, like I'm sure everybody's seen the footage of how brave Goodman was mm-hmm. um, and just trying to, to slow the progress of the people because he knew there were still senators and the vice president were still trying to make their way to safety. And so uh, I just, you know, walked with him and with the crowd up to the door of the Senate chambers. And, and at that point they were met by a half dozen other police officers and they, they just, yeah, they were just kind of totally lost up there in knowing what to do at that point. They didn't know where they were. They were asking where, you know, the vice president was, where other, you know, uh, elected officials were, because they obviously wanted to do something to them, yeah. you know. And- so from that point, I just kind of, kept wandering kept moving yeah that's because i was gonna ask is like when all this chaos is going on like how do you focus as a photographer and like uh, how did you kind of navigate what you were going to photograph it was just like kind of like you're saying this kind of wandering around and this kind of shooting 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 pretty much because it's got to be hard to concentrate in such a chaotic thing that's like never happened yeah yeah it was very surreal and it was it was hard to to keep reminding yourself to keep taking pictures Mm -hmm. because there were points you just wanted to watch how, how unreal it was. And, and, and the people, you know, were just, um, you know, it was my job to keep working. It wasn't my job to worry about myself. It wasn't my job 
you know, to, to make a, a, you know, an editorial decision. It was just my job to keep working and that at that moment. And so I just kept wandering. I think I went down the wrong hallway many times, but then at other times I came upon scenes that were just unbelievable. Yeah, you know, that's like what, that's what they kept saying. The uh, the I've never been to the Capitol, but they on TV when they're talking about, they said that building is like extremely hard to navigate and it's easy to get lost in there, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, once you get inside, you don't know whether you're going north or or south or east or west, and and there aren't a lot of windows on, especially the lower floor. So you're just surrounded by concrete and I don't know like I lost cell service very quickly so it wasn't like I could communicate with the editor I was working with at a certain point Mm -hmm. to go okay what's happening here what's happening there but uh, what I kept trying to do was just keep moving after I photographed something or if somebody you know there were times yes people threatened you people wanted to do you harm but luckily, I just moved on. Yeah. You know, I know other people had very bad experiences, other photographers, and it's awful what happened to them. You know, I was lucky or whatever. You know, I mean, I was alone uh, the majority of the day. When, when Ron and Ashley came in, we were together for a while. And then... Um, they got pushed on the other side of a police line. And because I had a, a, my capital, you know, my Senate photo gallery pass, I was able to stay there. And, and so I was separated from people for hours and just wandering with the crowd in the building and stuff and, and just trying to, to make a picture that showed what was going on. Yeah, and then, yeah. of course, no, keep going. sorry. Uh, and, and then in my mind, I kept thinking, I got to get outside to show all these people, you know, who are on the building, who are, are you know, on the steps of the Capitol. So finally, after uh, a bit, I, I made my way through one of the doors that had been breached and went outside and photographed. And then when when a group pushed their way back in i went back in with them so i went in and out several times yeah it is intense man um powerful pictures um because like looking at your work you you spent a lot of time like you photographed uh, proud boys uh clans members um like what is it about like documenting these people? Um, why is it important to document these people? And I guess like, what have you learned through your experience kind of dealing with these like fringe groups of people, I guess. Um, well, I think the thing I've learned is that they aren't fringe, yeah. that these people are everywhere in yeah. our society. Um, that was a, a thing I was trying to show in my work by going into certain people's homes in all different parts of the country, Boston, in Connecticut, in, you know, out in the West, in Los Angeles, or in Portland, you know, different places to show that it wasn't just this idea that, 
a lot of people have in America that this racism that the these white supremacist groups are based in the South and that that's where where they are. And so I, I really wanted to, to show that what the former president was saying was echoing through our society and people were, were willing to commit violence or become part of something so extreme and awful, um, but that they were accepted in their community, you know? And so I, I know a lot of people think if we don't show these groups that, that then they'll just go away if mm -hmm. they don't get attention. But I, I think the only way to show how, how ingrained they are in this society is by showing their rallies, by showing them in their homes that they, that they're your neighbor, you know, as much as they're, you know, somebody across the street or whatever, you know, somebody who's, you know, kids go to school with your kids. So uh, to me, it's, it's important to show that when we, when we haven't, when the media has censored this stuff, Mm -hmm. which they did in the 60s and 70s. There was a program called the Quarantine Program that the uh, New York Times did and some other large media organizations where they refused to write about the demonstrations, refused to write about the leaders, and that these groups grew. They grew to be very, you know, some of their, their biggest moments in this country. And you saw that in the eighties, you know, with the Aryan nation and, and that all because t maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I, I don't know, but because people weren't noticing what was going on, weren't informed what was going on. They weren't able to make a judgment that this is bad and we need to step up and do something about it. So yeah, that's why I do it. No, definitely. I agree. I think just because it's something that's terrible, you can't just ignore it. It's important to showcase it and hopefully people can learn from it that you would hope. Um, and you kind of touched on a little bit censorship. I was kind of interested to get your perspective because this is a conversation that's happening a lot more now. You see in the age of social media, we've seen the different, like obviously Trump's gotten banned uh, from mo most platforms. I just read last night that uh, I think Robert uh, Kennedy Jr., uh, he just got banned from Instagram for basically posting um, anti-vax uh, like articles and stuff. I was just kind of get curious to get your opinion on like censorship and social media. Uh, like what's your perspective on that, I guess? Man, I, I don't know if I'm smart enough to answer <laughs> that question. Yeah. I mean, it's such a tricky question. I mean, yeah. think about how much, I, I mean, it's just like, how much of a relief it's been that the former president hasn't been on Twitter Definitely. and that, that that hasn't driven the news every day. But I, I don't know. I mean, the first amendment is a very powerful thing. 
And without the First Amendment, we wouldn't have democracy. Mm -hmm. But then also it allows people to be uh, to lie, to say things that aren't true and to create false news over and over and over. And, you know, I think the media needs to look at itself and, uh, you know, I think it's really important for the media to try and go down the middle of the road and, and allow people to come to terms with things mm -hmm. and that and not be totally directed. But then also the idea of objectivity might have to be looked at, um, you know, and uh, that, that if, if you're reporting on, on, a certain event and you put somebody on that's saying something that is inherently not true is is that really being objective is that really fulfilling the duty of of news and journalism so i mean i think that's something that that could be looked at and that's you know for the individual journalistic organizations to look at so yeah. But I, like I said, I don't know that I'm qualified. Neither, to neither do I. This question. Yeah, it's a new no. frontier because it's something I think about a lot. I talked about my brother and friends about like social media, and I'm sure you think about it because you've been covering politics before social media was a thing. Because uh, I feel like social media was just such a game changer because it just gave everyone a voice. And I don't know, it's this, and even I would imagine covering it just the way politicians campaign now and how they use Facebook and social media. And it's so much about personality. Uh, do you feel from covering politics pre social media and that thing is the way that uh, politicians kind of go about their thing. Do you see, is it been a big change you think? Yeah, I think they, it's allowed them to circumvent a lot of it. And Trump proved that, that, mm -hmm. you know, he became uh, the voice that, that drove the echo chamber, you know, and I think you can look at uh, different people who have used that, who, you know, sit in a, in, in their living room and will drive the news cycle by, you know, starting a hashtag mm -hmm. and, and getting it out to other conservative, you know, bloggers and, by because journalists, I, I think one of the one of the things with Twitter is all journalists are on it. Mm -hmm. So then when something is trending, they almost feel like they have to report on that. Yeah. And so some blogger in their living room in Orange County can drive a news cycle the next day, you know, just by, you know, um, uh, you know, they're like the New Yorker wrote an article about one of the bloggers um, in Orange County who he just found this very small little thing about Hillary and somebody said something about terrorists. Mm -hmm. So then he he blogged Hillary terrorism. And the next day it was an article in, mo you know, most of the major newspapers. You know, so, yeah, it's it's 
like I said, I'm not qualified. No, 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 no. <laughs> to know, I'm not looking for it. It's just a conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but I think this is something that we as journalists, we as people in the media have to start looking at. And it's a new frontier. It is. I think Instagram has been an incredible thing for photographers. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's like a proof sheet for photographers. It's a great way for photographers to get uh, to be introduced to editors mm-hmm. because editors are on there all the time. So yeah. social media has been a great thing for photography in that way. But then, you know, there's other aspects that maybe aren't, you know, yeah. a- as good for oh, photographers. Def- oh, definitely. Know? And I mean, uh, yeah, this like Facebook because like I know I have relatives who are like not informed and they they they'll just go on Facebook and they take that as news. They'll see like some graphic that came up with some facts, but there's no sources, no nothing, and and it's this sad thing. It's just goes viral, like we're saying, and then people just view yeah. that as news because I saw it on the internet, but that's not really the truth at all. Yeah, I can I can tell you I have made the mistake of posting something mm-hmm. that that. I wanted to believe, you know, a quote from somebody that was just, you know, like a gotcha thing, you know, I I did it yesterday with, with, uh, you know, the uh, founder of my pillow, you know, I read some quote and I was like, oh yeah, this will be great to put with this picture. And immediately people go, Hey man, check your source. And that was good. And, and that, to me says, I got to be diligent too. You know, it's important for me to always double check things, you know, and not rush it out, you know, which is one of the problems of social media is, you know, like, like it used to be, I think for AP or UPI's motto, a deadline every minute. Now with social media, there's a deadline every five seconds, you know, I will say I, I I subscribe to the New York Times, Wall Street Journal. I watch all the I watch like CNN. I watch Fox. Shit. Sometimes I watch OAN, OAN just to see what just to get the perspective of like what the hell's because what's going on out there. And uh, I do enjoy the New York Times because they seem like they really they take their time before they before they release something. Whereas sometimes CNN they I go on there and it's like they got the huge bold letters and they want obviously it's a business so they they want to be first. And I guess that's I go. I, I enjoy the New York Times is because it seems like they really do their due diligence before they break a story. Pretty much, it seems. Yeah. And and this stuff is, you know, what they call news is the first draft of history. So Mm -hmm. then, you know, things do evolve or more information comes out and we all got to be diligent to not just take the first, you know, news flash about something and and you know, try and understand it deeper. So do you ever, do you ever get burnt out on shooting politics? Obviously the last four years with Trump administration has been crazy for this country. Um, But like, where, where are you at with it these days, I guess? Um, Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'd say on January 20th, I kind of, you know, took a deep breath and uh, I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to, you know, what my next project will be. But I think, um, 
you know, projects don't really end. They, mm -hmm. they lead to the next project. I heard somebody say that on, on, a, on a lecture yesterday, and, and it really made me think about that, that, that it's all intertwined. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's a lot going on right now. Mm -hmm. and, and just because uh, one person is removed from the scene, you know, they'll be either fighting to replace that person, or maybe there'll be something I won't be so jaundiced mm -hmm. at looking at, which I was with my political theater work. Mm. And uh, how do you kind of first initially kind of get into photography to go back? Like, I know, um, I think you're originally from Minnesota, but how do you kind of first discover photography? Um, yeah, I... You know, I came to it in my mid twenties. I had kind of failed at everything else by that point. And so I thought I would do, um, I would try photography cause I thought it'd be easy. And that was my first mistake in photography. Um, I, I literally lucked into it where, um, you know, being from Minnesota, you know, I went to a twins game and just started talking cause the twins had no fans. I could sit right at third base, even though I didn't have a ticket for that and talk this, to the photographer was this the, who was sitting. What shooting. stadium would that be? Was it prior to Metrodome, Met. right? Yeah. All right. Yeah. 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 The old Metropolitan Stadium out in Bloomington. Yep. And, and literally I could just sit there and I was talking to the person and, and I said, Oh yeah, I want to be a photographer. And, he was like, well, I, I need a stringer, uh, come in tomorrow. And so I was just very lucky to get a start like that. You know, you kind of self-taught pretty much, or did you ever take any courses or anything? Well, I've been really lucky, uh, to have some people, uh, Minnesota photographers that really helped me. Um, you know, Jim Hubbard was, uh, the bureau chief at UPI and Paul Shambroom, who's now a professor at the University of Minnesota, really helped me. And Tom Art, who's one of the really great Minnesota street artists, uh, street photographers. Um, they really helped me. And, and but, uh, you know, it was just really luck that people took a chance on me and when that door opened I just ran as hard as I could and hope they didn't notice how um unqualified I was <laughs> before the door shut and and you know I I lucked out and got um a job with City Pages the alternative newspaper which really was a great experience to learn feature photography and just shoot things that weren't, um, you know, to have to develop kind of a style or develop uh, to figure out a portrait when you walk in a room and the person's just staring at you, mm -hmm. you know, which is, you know, yeah. is the most frightening thing in the world, you know. That's what I was going to ask you. Have you always been comfortable, like, approaching people? Because, like, a lot of these, I mean, for me, like, looking at the, some of the stuff you photograph, uh, I would be intimidated as hell going to some dude's garage and he's, like, a Klansman or whatever it may be, the Proud Boys or whoever. Have you always just been comfortable, like, talking to people and approaching people to photograph them? Or, um, 
some uh, yeah no i'm a very shy person it might not seem like it but no, i definitely am. not i would never <laughs> think that looking at your photography yeah. yeah and so that that's one of the toughest things for any photographer is to put yourself in the situation you need to be and you know i know very uh, a, a lot of great photographers that I've met, it's like they could sell somebody on anything, you know, like they could be a used car salesman if they weren't a photographer, because they just have that ability to make people feel comfortable and relaxed. And that um, I don't, I'm, you know, just kind of, but maybe that's why, uh, you know, people allow me, in because they just want to get rid of me, you know, because I'm so, you know, uncomfortable around them, <laughs> you know, they're just like, yeah, we'll do anything just so you leave, you know, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. You know? yeah. But I'm not, I, I'm not, a, yeah, uh, you know, it, that's the hardest thing in photography, I think, for any photographer is, is how to get access. And, and, you know, like what you're mentioning, that picture. I mean, I called probably 10 people mm -hmm. before I got that picture. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing is, is just to keep, if you want something, if you want a certain picture or a certain thing to just, even though one person turns you down, hopefully there's somebody else you can go and, and photograph to, to show what you want to show. Yeah. And that never changes. Even at this point in your career, you know, people probably like look at your work and be like, maybe it gets easier, but I, I'm guessing it doesn't. It's still pounding on pounding the pavement, banging on doors and get, making stuff happen. Right. Yeah. I mean, I still pitch stuff all the time and probably get rejected nine out of 10 times. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the hard part about keep working is not. And it's just like, you know, any salesperson or anything to not get discouraged by that, to just go, well, there'll be somebody else. I'll just try it with somebody else, you know, yeah. and to, to, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's a hard profession. It is, you know, and, and I've been really lucky in it. Uh, people have really supported me. I've been so lucky. I have a great agent you know, Marcel Saba, who I've been with since 1992, mm -hmm. you know, so uh, very, very lucky to have somebody so honest and, and supportive as he is. Yeah, and, and, and in terms of like your work, like how, how would you describe it? Like, would you, are you, would you say like you're a photojournalist or like a editorial photographer because i think uh, like a lot of like quote-unquote traditional photojournalists they they won't do like they won't really you can't really utilize photoshop and, and make enhancements and stuff like that or like what's your kind of approach to your work i guess if you had to describe it um yeah i think i started out you know trying to follow the rules and that and i still believe in those rules i think those rules are very important for uh, newspapers to really follow so that people have belief in the pictures. Mm -hmm. But I think I've become more of an editorial photographer where obviously I'm, I'm trying 
to reflect what I see in that person and in the how I use my flash, how close I might get to somebody. You know, I want that person's, uh, especially in the political work, I want their desire, their grabbing for power to be reflected in that picture. You know, when I first started political theater, that's when I really, you know, I've always had a style or maybe an opinion in some of my work, Mm -hmm. but that's when I really wanted to condense it down. And, and, you know, some of the first pictures I took were just Chris Christie's mouth, who was a very belligerent, you know, public servant who, when just a, a teacher would ask him a question about his education policy. He would walk over to him at a town hall and just start yelling at him and belittle that person for even questioning anything. And so I just wanted to focus on his mouth and how, you know, he used that for his power, you know, or when I took a picture of Ted Cruz, he's the son of a preacher. So I wanted to photograph him like a preacher, you know, like uh, Day of the Hunter or something like that. You know, I mean, I, I, I've always loved movies and my favorite movie is Citizen Kane. And some of the, the shadowing and the depth of field that's in that movie is incredible. But there's also a sequence when Foster Kane runs for governor and, and so, you know, uh, a lot of the political theater, you know, style comes from that. Mm. Yeah. And what was the flash was, were you using the flash before you kind of the political theater thing or when did the kind of flash? Cause when I think about your work, that's what I, I really enjoy about it is like these stark contrasty images, sometimes the black and white stuff. Uh, when did you kind of start bringing flash into your work? Cause yeah, like going back to like quote unquote traditional photojournalist, whatever you want to call that a lot of times it's just kind of natural light, not so much flash, but yours, it seems like you're kind of working with like multiple flashes sometimes. When did that kind of come into your workflow? Um, Yeah, I've used flash pretty much throughout my career. Um, When, especially when I came to New York to work for magazines, you had to shoot um, color slide film, which was 100 ASA. And it being in New York, it wasn't like you got these lovely sunset colors, magic light, you know, so you had to force the light there. Um, And so, uh, you know, there were people, you know, of course, I always loved Diane Arbus's work, you know, because of her flash. But then in color work, I loved like Jeff Jacobson's work, a great, great American photographer who really developed the flash and color and, you know, in, in a documentary style, in a street style that, that, you know, I, I've always looked up to him or Larry Fink, who's an amazing photographer with, with his flash and black and white. And, you know, I, you know, I've never been on the road, they have because they're so great Mm -hmm. but that's the road i'd like to get to one day i mean those two are are such stellar photographers using flash it's unbelievable and are you in terms of like uh 
are, are you mostly because looking at some of the photos are you using like remotes some of the times and how, how do you kind of approach it or is it kind of handheld like on one of the little cord deals or how do you kind of what's your work well for? yeah and when i first came to new york you had a vivitar 285 with a pc cord yeah. you know and that um but technology now i have a, a radio transmitter on my camera and then you know it goes it transmits to the flash you know i use um you know godox uh flashes i which, love godox man good price point and they work great man <laughs> unbelievable yeah you know it, it's just like and and so yeah I, i'm holding the flash to try and accent a certain moment in that, in that scene. So, it, you know, because I shoot so wide, there can be so much chaos mm -hmm. in my pictures. And I love chaos. I love, you know, things to be messy and, and complicated, you know, I'm not saying my pictures are complicated, but just that, that it's not just a simple, you know, background or whatever. And, and so the flash helps the viewer get to that point inside that chaos. And, and so, yeah, I'm holding it around people. I'm holding it over people. Sometimes I'll set it on something and, and move through the room. Sometimes in the political theater work, I, I give the flash to somebody in the front row and i'd say just point this up at that person <laughs> and whatever you do don't look at it it yeah. will blind you yeah. so so and people were nice enough to do that you know i it was kind of shocking that they were polite enough to to help me and that but yeah i you know um it would be great to have um an assistant, some photographers are, are doing that now. Um, but because I'm kind of a shy person, I, I, I don't think I would know what to tell somebody to do. And then I'd feel guilty that they were working and I'd be like, Oh, don't you want to sit down? Should I get you a coffee? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I feel the same way. Like I never use assistance. And when I do, it feels like I'm like babysitting someone and I like appreciate them. I'm like, yeah, it's like the same thing. It's like, <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're going to be here about two more hours. Is that cool? Do you need to leave early? Yeah. Are you good? <laughs> That's uh, it. Totally. You know, so, you and, know, we're from Minnesota. So that's Minnesota. That's nice. How we think. Minnesota nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And one more point on the flash. I was just curious about do any of the subjects, whatever the politicians or whatever, do they ever get annoyed with annoyed with the flash going off all the time because that's one thing i was thinking about because like a lot of times you're in these rooms where someone might be speaking or are you just shooting a ton or like are you kind of just picking your moments or how do you approach that element of it yeah i mean uh, there have been times where people have asked me not to use flash mm -hmm. you know um but uh, yeah i just say you know i'll I won't use it as much, but I have to, this is my style. Yeah. So um, I, and I think with these politicians, I think, you know, flash is crack to them. You know, it's just oh, like yeah. to them, to them, they think, you know, wow, something's going on or I've really captured, you know, this moment, you know, it, it, it I mean, I think you can use flash 
you know, um, to create, you know, an energy and that, you know, when things are so boring, you know, I mean, the, these events, a lot of the events I go to, it's like, oh, there's that podium again that I photographed two states ago, mm -hmm. you know? And so, you know, the, uh, it's, it's just important, you know, to try and, and make, to, to remove that from your mind that you're in the same scene you've been in hundreds of times and look at it new that moment. And, and I think the flash helps me with that. No, I so, love it. It just adds like a different texture and emotion. It's just like a real, uh, that's what I really love about your work. There's just like so much energy to it. And that's what I kind of enjoy about it, you know? Um, and one project I was interested in talking to you about, I believe it was called Acts of Charity. I was kind of curious um, what that project was all about and how it kind of came about for you. Um, yeah. When I moved to New York um, in 87, you know, I started to really use color and learn color. Um, and so in 92, I think it was, I was assigned by the New York Times Magazine to follow Brooke Astor. That's her in, in the mirror with her chauffeur. And so I spent the day with her. And it was just like going to a different country because I'd never seen this, this wealth, you know, coming from Minnesota, you know, you know, in Minnesota, people don't walk around or at that, at that time, they didn't walk around in Chanel with white gloves, you know, maybe they did in their private parties, but you didn't see them on the street like, like you could. And so I followed her around and I was just like, this is a world I really want to explore. So, you know, I was lucky enough to get a lot of assignments and get, but also work on it, you know, myself, you know, and just photograph it. This is all with flash, you know, and I was learning flash, you know, here's flash again. You know, I'm using a PC cord, putting it around the person's body, you know, um, but, uh, you know, it was just a, it was like going to a foreign country and trying to understand it for me. Um, I don't know if I ever did. I mean, here's, you know, debutante balls. Um, uh, you know, you say about access and getting access it took me five years of calling them to get into a debutante ball wow and that um and so every year i mean they only happen like in, around the holidays and so i you know it, every year i'd start calling and then finally they let me in why <laughs> You could, you could say, why would you let Mark Peterson? I, I always wonder why anybody would let me in to photograph him. So you're not, here's you're Donald not, Trump. You're a nice guy, Mark. That's why I let you in. <laughs> <laughs> but that was Trump and his daughter, Ivanka there, you know, at a polo match out on Long Island. So, yeah, you it, know. Was, it was amazing work. And uh, uh, thank you. 
And, and uh, uh, like, like what I was saying about people, you know, like Larry Fink, Jeff Jacobson, both of them had worked in that, you know, venue in, you know, uh, and so I was able to, to see, you know, dimensions that they were creating with their flash and try and, yeah. you know, not copy their style, but, you know, try and grow from that. Yeah. Yeah. Larry, yeah, he's one of my all time favorites too. his book. Social graces is this like anybody listening, go, go find that book on eBay or wherever it's, it's his contrast of like the rich and poor was this like a uh, second to none um, photo- photography. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. You yeah. know, and uh, you know, looking at your website, you also do some motion work. You had a really cool piece on preservation hall. It, are the motion pieces, is that something you do a lot of? And like, what do you kind of enjoy about it? I guess. I, you know, uh, yeah, I'm not very good at it, uh, but I want to learn. I really love um, video, whatever you want to call it, motion. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, you know, I'm really trying. It's it's so hard. It's so hard. It's it's it it. You know, if you want to do a good documentary, you you need a team. You know, and I'm used to just kind of meandering around. And, you know, um, I am working with Ron Haviv on a documentary, which it's really a pleasure to work with somebody like him, such, you know, a great human rights photographer. I mean, people call him a war photographer, but he's really been a human rights photographer who's shown man's inhumanity to man Mm -hmm. over the years. He's incredible. So it, it's been a real pleasure to work with him. Can so you say what I'm the doc- trying? Can you say what the I'm documentary trying. is about or at all? Yeah, it's just about uh, a mural artist in New York who put up murals up in Harlem, uh, and you know to try and make uh, some of the you know worser areas look better. And now because of gentrification, <laughs> those murals are being removed. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, cause the buildings are being taken over by, you know, big corporate, you know, stores and stuff. So it's just kind of uh, this ironic New York story, you know? Yeah. So definitely. And I guess to wrap up, like, like what's next for you, what's got you interested um, in photography right now? Anything kind of in the horizon for the, the the year coming forward, I guess, anything you're hoping to work on? Yeah. Um, you know, like what I said before, after January 20th, I just kind of went, whoa, what am I going to do now? Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really trying to decide if I'm going to spend another year working on, uh, you know, I have a book that's coming out by Steidel called White Noise about white supremacy and stuff. Wow. Um, If I'm going to keep working on that or if I'm going to, you know, I'm really kind of at a crossroads of trying to decide, you know, which road to go down you know i I would really like to look at people that are doing positive things and 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 i mean i think 
this year has really shown us that there is humanity out there, that people can come together and demonstrate in the streets for change or, you know, the whole COVID-19 um, epidemic has shown that, that people, I mean, when you think of the food banks that people have just started out of nowhere, yeah. you know, and are feeding hundreds of people, you know, there, there's all this stuff out there that I think it, maybe it's time to look at that. Yeah. So, so I, I, you know, I look forward to it, Mark, man. I, like I said, big fan of your work and, uh, can't thank you enough for taking the time to do this, man. It's a real pleasure talking to you about everything you've done within photography. So thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time. No doubt. Be safe. Take care, Mark. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. So there you have it. That was the Mark Peterson interview. I uh, just want to thank Mark so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. Uh, really incredible uh, speaking with him about all the amazing work he's done over the course of his career. And obviously uh, speaking to him about documenting the uh, January 6th insurrection. Um, he created some very powerful images and just incredible work he's done. Um, so I would definitely urge you to go give him a follow on Instagram. He's at Mark Peterson Picks. That's Mark Peterson P-I-X-S. Uh, really amazing work up there. He's always posting uh, different photos he's working on, as well as definitely go check out his website, markpetersonpicks.com. I'll put all the links in the descriptions, but definitely go check him out some more. And as always, I'll be having weekly podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as the Photo Banter YouTube page. Um, so definitely go give us a follow on YouTube. as It's much appreciated. And also, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, uh, this podcast um, was brought to you by PickDrop. Uh, it's a really great image transfer tool. Um, I've been using it for a while now. You can create private galleries for your clients so they can uh, download their files on mobile, laptop, make selections. Uh, really easy to use. Uh, it was designed by photographers with photographers in mind. Uh, so can't recommend it enough. And definitely go check out uh, if you're going to sign up for PickDrop. Remember to enter the promo code PHOTOBANTER, one word, and you'll get three months free of the PickDrop image transfer tool when you sign up at PickDrop.com. So again, when you go to the pickdrop.com, when you sign up, remember to enter the promo code PHOTOBANTER, one word, and you'll get three months free of the PickDrop image transfer tool. So thanks so much and take care.